0: to development hell. Available now from Dread, the Queen of Spades. According to legend, an ominous entity known as the Queen of Spades can be summoned by performing an ancient ritual. Four teenagers summon the Queen of Spades, but they could never imagine the horrors that await them. The Queen of Spades is available on demand everywhere and on Blu-ray July 3rd, 2021. Every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Today's episode is going to be about Wes Craven's Alice. What's wrong, Alice? My parents are gone. What else is wrong, Okay, so Alice is the project that really got my heart wrapped up in horror movies stuck in development hell. I was obsessed with the property American McGee's Alice, which is a video game, dark retelling of the classic Alice in Wonderland story. This came out in about the year 2000. I discovered it maybe a year later, 2001, in seventh grade. And boy, oh boy, it's like I had never seen a subversion of a fairy tale before in my life. I was like, wow, my mind. And I don't think I was alone because ultimately, years later, everyone was really excited about Wicked. First the book, then the Broadway show. You know, the retelling, re-adjustment of like a classic fairy tale that everyone goes, ooh, ah, when we encounter it. Now that we're in our God's year 2021, I think it's a little bit more cliche. We've seen it, we've done it, we've been there, okay. You know, back in the year 2000, 2001, it was like, you can do that. You can take a property that already exists and spin some kind of half hearted metaphor into it. As I was saying, there was a video game, and its full name of this video game in 2001 was American McGee's Alice. American McGee's Alice was a PC video game released by EA Arts, or is it EA Games, yeah, EA Games, in the year 2000. And it was developed by its namesake, Mr. American McGee, who was a game developer prior on games like Quake and Doom, and he was like an artsy-fartsy fella, and he thought, no, I don't wanna like, do any other space shoot up blast-em-up spaceship games. It's so boring, and he's right, that is boring. I wanna do something cool in very like deviant art, even though deviant art didn't quite exist yet. And he started to develop some Wonderland game, which again, today, yes, it's like a little cliche, but it wasn't back then, it was really cool. He was a really inventive game developer had a really cool style which really lent itself to an outside of the box project like American Mickey's Alice. The game's premise, as we've mentioned, was based on the Lewis Carroll novels, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. But it presented them in a sort of like a gloomy, kind of cruel, violent new setting. The game itself, like the story, centers around Alice. Parents died in a house fire five years before the story of the video game takes place. And since the house fire, she's been institutionalized at a psychiatric clinic, emotionally traumatized. She's now able to retreat back into Wonderland, this place where she had been, you know, earlier in her childhood. But now that she's a warped, traumatized adolescent, her Wonderland looks very, very different. It has, let's say, like a mean Tim Burton energy The whole landscape and the characters there have been disfigured by I would say is her injured psyche. I'm still a nerd for this video game. I, your host Josh Korenga, not famously the world's number one video game connoisseur. Have I played Skyrim? Yes, Um, do I play Breath of the Wild every day because I don't like the world that we live in now? Oh, of of course. I really got into the Friday the 13th video game at one point, too. But these are all kind of exceptions to the rule. I am a horror movie fella, not a video game gal. But American Mickey's Alice really got its hooks in me when I was a kid, and I thought, oh, this is my identity now. This is who I am. I don't know if there's a lot of queer people out there that had the same experience with Alice. If you're queer and you were like, oh, I loved Alice, let's talk. Something cool about the game itself was that throughout the gameplay, Alice is able to obtain weapons, which she uses. But the weapons in the game are toys, and that's pretty cool. So you get to use things like a croquet mallet, um, a warpal blade, um a wand of some kind, Jabberwocky's Eye staff, all kind of like, oh, an explosive jack-in-the-box, how cool is that shit? You are getting a fairly average shoot-'em-up video game, but in every possible way, it's being done, you know, heightened and reimagined and very creatively. And that was new in 2000, 2001. We weren't really seeing games like this, I think also because it's a bit of a risk for the companies because i think video games are fairly expensive to make and you want a surefire bet and at the time as i was saying what was in vogue were spaceship alien marines in space kind of stuff that kind of sounds cool but i wouldn't want to make those i'd want to make something spooky ooky booky like alice there was another game around the same time that did really badly. But if you recall, and you're old like me, uh, they used to sell Alice together with another game called Clive Barker's Undying, another sort of narrative horror story that took place in Scotland. I believe that it was a big financial failure and kind of led to EA Games and other game developers not to be so quick to create original horror creative properties in the future. I mean, we would get Silent Hill as a franchise, which has been cursed itself, but we weren't getting a lot of really cool innovative horror games until, you know, the 2010s. A part of the game that really called to me was not so much the game, but the score of the video game. It was unlike anything I'd ever heard at the time. I'm a big fan. I'm a big music fan. I'm a big fan of spooky music, I'm a big fan of spooky scores, obviously usually film scores, and this was a really really cool collection of music that I like was pretty into at the time. So Chris Vrenna, who I believe was the drummer of Nine Inch Nails and of Marilyn Manson as well, but I I might be wrong, and I'm not wrong though actually, (laughs) he did the score for this game. Something that he did was really cool outside the box is he wanted to get, like, a very gothic, childlike horror feel. So he got all of these broken-down Fisher-Price toys, like a xylophone and a music box and antique pocket radios, clocks, doors, stuff like that, and would use them as samples. The singer Jessica, with a CK, provided vocals for this soundtrack. You would know Jessica f- as a lead singer from, oh, Jack Off Jill. How can I forget? Jack Off Jill. So Jessica's a classic. Chris is a classic. This score is a classic. I really recommend you checking it out. In fact, the last time I got to work with a composer on a film of mine, it was a main reference. I said, Janelle, that's her name. She's so cool. You'll love her. Um, I'm really inspired by how this game used, like, weird, broken, antique toys as sounds. And she was like, say no more. And I think we did some cool stuff. So thank you, Chris Renna and Janelle. We're here to talk about the development hell project of Wes Craven's (gasps) Alice. You're like, Wes Craven, that's right. The title of this podcast said Wes Craven. Why hasn't he said anything about this yet? Hold on, you're getting ahead of yourself, okay? Let me have some space. Okay, so back in the year 2000, as this game was coming out, Dimension Films and Miramax Films were shown gameplay of the Alice early sort of demo, and they were uber impressed by the visuals that they saw. To the point where Miramax was actually like, give me this girl, I'm making this movie. And according to a publisher source, American McGee, the head honcho of the game, was actually going to be involved in the production, potentially as a creative director or as a co-producer. So, you know, not a girl at the top of the ladder, but she would be in the room, and that's very cool. I found this 21-year-old article, I believe, from IGN that uh, declared around 2000 and 2001, that the Alice adaptation was yes, happening indeed, and it was going to be written by John August and yes, directed by none other than Wes Craven. Everybody's a favorite, not august because who cares about him but was craven what an icon okay we'll get into that a little bit more but another really exciting um, tidbit about this era of the alice's pre-production was the rumors of casting for the lead role the titular role of alice so the number one rumored actress at this time was none other than natalie portman yes Natalie Portman was the first actress sort of in the line to play Alice. And apparently she herself had expressed interest in the project and was sort of courting Miramax to to get involved. Um, other actresses that were floating around this project back in the year 2000-2001 were Christina Ricci and even Mila Djokovic, who obviously went on to do the Resident Evil movies very soon after, around 2002. Wes Craven, obviously he's very well known for Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, kind of, New Nightmare, the Scream franchise, other stuff, let's say Red Eye, my soul to take or keep, let's pretend like that didn't happen. He had a really strong relationship with Dimension Films. Unfortunately, Dimension Films was of course headed up by Bob and Harvey Weinstein, Uh, notorious Hollywood disgusting monsters or at least one of them and that's upsetting because we wish that this project had been in the arms of an angel and not the scary devil but that's where it was and Dimension Films and Wes Craven had a tight relationship. He had just come off the third Scream movie and the first one was actually one of like the flagship property for Dimension. Some might call it The house that Ghostface built, that's right, I coined that term. Dimension Films was the house that Ghostface built. Kind of makes sense that that's why they were able to snag someone like Wes. In the early 2000s, though, um, John August was like the it girl in Hollywood. She, sorry, well, he had written the sort of indie sensation Go, and he'd also written a Charlie's Angels movie, Scooby-Doo, uh, an unfulfilled Barbarella reboot with Drew Barrymore. So August didn't have enough time to actually write the screenplay, and so instead he wrote a 21-page treatment, which he's been pretty vocal over the years about how Wes Craven wasn't a big fan of this treatment, but Miramax was, so there was this like kind of awkward dynamic, and it seemed at that point that Wes Craven was sort of the one to continue, and John August, at this point, kind of got the boot. So another thing that came around this time was Wes Craven herself announced that this project was likely, if not definitely, going to be a CGI adult like animated project. This was a new concept at the time of 2000. And honestly, it still is kind of a new concept because there was only one other film like it at the time, and that was the movie Final Fantasy colon, Spirits Within. This is the first sort of big Final Fantasy movie adaptation, and it didn't do good. And I think a lot of people were really confused about the concept of an, like a CGI animated adult film. I'm not saying I'm against it 100%. I mean, like, obviously, if you look at the Marvel films, they are 99% CGI-animated adult films. But, yeah, I don't think we were ready for this at the time. I also believe that there's a certain uncanny valley quality to when CGI is too humanoid realistic. We don't really want to see that. And if you make it more cartoony, that's not really an adult feature. Probably tonally, that's going to feel more like a kid's movie. And so there was this tricky territory where people didn't really know how they felt about this kind of animation style. And nobody went to go see Final Fantasy. It's actually considered to be like the ninth biggest box office bomb of all time. And so that didn't help our um, our dream project of Alice. It was halted. Our boy John August was removed and around that time we got the screenwriters John and Eric Huber involved for the screenplay. So these are the guys that, these are the guys that are behind the Red franchise, you know the one with the old people that like to shoot stuff. He They also wrote The Meg and Battleship, so like I don't know if I'm a number one fan of these angels but so they wrote a screenplay And still not a lot was happening. It was also at this time that we started to lose Wes Craven on the project as well. Now, the project didn't die. We're going to start to see it get picked up by a different studio and a different director. But around 2001 is when we lost John August and we lost Wes Craven. Many years later, there was an interview with... uh, the game creator, American McGee. And he said that he had a feeling that this was around the time where our favorite dude in the world, Wes Craven, actually started to get sick. And was when he may have had um, either early symptoms or early diagnosis, uh, first time of getting cancer. And so this took him sort of out of the game, understandably. And when you lose a director I think it's pretty often that uh, you lose your footing in production and the production itself may not actually happen and that's ultimately what we saw happening here they didn't lose hope because it was the early 2000s people were wearing Von Dutch hats Paris Hilton was still the it girl it was good it was bright everything was wonderful George Bush not great so The project moved hands and ended up with 20th Century Fox in 2005. The Hollywood Reporter reported, as they like to do, that Wes Craven was no longer involved, but that director Marcus Nispel had signed on. So the name might sound familiar to you. Marcus Nispel came to fame with directing the 2003 remake of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He would also direct a slew of other weird action films, like something called Pathfinder, which I never saw, and as well as the 2009 Friday the 13th reboot. Both that and Texas Chainsaw was with Platinum Dunes. This guy, you know, has an okay track record, depending on who you ask. Personally, I'm a big fan of 2009 Friday the 13th, I'm not a, like a huge fan of that Tex Chainsaw movie, I'm not really a Tex Chainsaw fan, it's just a little too much for me, and the remake was like way too much, even compared compared to the first film in the franchise. Just a little too gory, a little too uh, un- unkind, and I like my horror to be a little more fun, what can I say? I'm a sissy. Marcus Misswell kinda sounds like a cool guy though. People are always talking about how he's like really chill, and that he always wears... Earth tones, which I find very funny for a man that's so disgustingly brutal and violent in his filmmaking. So they were going to keep going with the Huber's script, which is a good sign that they didn't let go of that. And the most exciting news, IMO, in the whole history of this very long development hell journey for Alice, was the new star they had attached, and that was. None other than Sarah Michelle Geller. Sarah Michelle Geller was announced by The Hollywood Reporter to star in this new Alice film. And this was just hot off the heels of her starring role in the Grudge remake, 2004 style. Which was a big financial success. Was it good? Also, she had just come off the f- series finale of Buffy. This was when she was at her most known, and the girl really was trying her best to get into the film world as a leading loody. And it just never really happened for our princess. Never is too late, says I. That's a weird way to put it. I think there's still a chance, but it doesn't seem great. Her career also seems semi-stalled in development hell, and we wanna free her. There, When she first joined Twitter, which I believe was like 2011 and then she like stopped posting immediately and forever but she still got that blue check mark so you know it's her. Her and Mr. Freddie Prince posted their Halloween costumes back then. <laughs> they were so lame and like so party city and like embarrassing like suburb parents in costumes but she was dressed up as unquote American Mickey's Alice and he was dressed in like walmart rubber mask of freddy krueger so like embarrassing for them and she had a blonde wig on so it looked very uh disney's (laughs) alice alice in wonderland which is like girl like no if you've paid attention for half of a second you would know that the alice in american mcgee's alice famously dark haired because if you are a trauma Rama victim you have dark hair that's just how it works you can't have light hair and have a dark past and Nicole Smith you just can't and I was really excited about this of course I was and am I think a big Buffy fan and so as someone that was also this huge Alice fan in what it was, was probably late middle school early high school I was like holy pajama pants Batman like how cool is this? Even though I was like already waiting four years. And I didn't know yet at the time that you know Hollywood is a fickle, f- fickle pickle. And that I probably was never going to get to see my baby on the screen. I wish that someone had told me, like, Josh, get used to heartbreak. You want to make movies? You want to like movies? This is what you're going to have to deal with. A little bit of heartbreak. And so this was a good learning experience for me. Yeah, so Geller was supposedly going to be filming this after filming Southland Tales, another weird acting choice for our girl. Yeah, it just didn't happen. So I guess we kind of have to talk about Sarah Michelle Geller in the news recently because for the first time in a long time, she did sort of pop up. And this is rare for her because she and her hubby Freddie Prince are fairly mm, private and they don't often pop up on Twitter but she did this is in the wake of many different female cast members on Buffy coming forth to declare that Joss Whedon was a really toxic boss and that it was a really inappropriate and um, traumatic workplace experience for them and this has only sort of come up with these cast members in the last couple of weeks and so everyone was thinking is SMG going to say something? I personally was taking bets that she wouldn't. Not for any other reason that yeah, I don't know, she's kind of like a, has past hints of republicanism in her and I just like, I'd rather her not say anything than say the wrong thing and I don't know how you interpret what she said. I think a lot of people were happy with how she declared a sort of distance from Joss Sweden, but it did in my opinion feel a little bit easy and and vague but she did say she stands with survivors and at the end of the day I mean you could be saying something worse than that. So SMG not cancelled. Alice never fucking got made and after the 2010 Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland debacle that came out we all kind of were like okay so Tim Burton got his grubby little racist pause on the franchise. We are not going to get our like Tim Burton-esque horror iteration of Alice. It's just not going to happen. And that's sad because, well, I really wanted it. I was obsessed. I am letting go. I am redirecting my unhealthy obsessions to other things like, I don't know, Tori Amos... Um, Beach Vacations, My Dog Henry, stuff like that. So what lies in the future of the Alice property or the Alice franchise? There was a sequel to the video game 11 years later in the year 2011. EA Games did release Alice Madness Returns. This was a big budget uh, sequel or in a way reboot to the original Alice. And it had lukewarm reviews from myself and most other people. Didn't really make a, a splash, an innovation wave like the first one did. Which, you know, kind of makes sense. Because 11 years later, it left its imprint on the Zeitgeist. And there was already a lot of cool stuff coming up. Not just through the like mainstream game world, but also through indie games. And we were just seeing more cool stuff. And this was no longer... All that innovative or interesting uh, American McGee has been hard at work ever since then sort of developing something in the franchise again be that short films that he made because the rights reverted back to him he also crowdfunded successfully for I don't know if successfully but he did crowdfund for a third game that at one point was called Alice Otherworlds and is now titled Alice Asylum But not a lot has gone on with that since about 2018, so I don't know. It doesn't look like it's going to happen with EA, so unless they release it independently, Alice, well, she's uh, burning up in development hell, which is very sad because her family burnt, and that's why she got crazy and had to go back to Wonderland. I have a lot of feelings and opinions on this development hell title. I would still love to see it one day, even though, do we need it? No. Are we kind of sick of reinventions of fairy tale properties? Yeah, I mean, like, we're sick of Wicked, we're sick of Into the Woods. I mean, we've seen a billion, kabillion Alice in Wonderland versions over time. It just kind of feels like, I don't know, the tides have turned, and it's just not the time for something like this. Once Upon a Time is a good example of a modern property you know turning fairy tales on their head we've kind of covered it but we have to do what we do best we have to decide is Wes Craven's Alice American Mickey's Alice Mark and Marcus Nespel's Alice is Alice going to happen in the future oh, no I'm gonna say no that's a no for me dog that's a no for me love That was Randy and Sharon. Usually I just go with Sharon. Don't know why I did Randy first. I guess it's more popular. So yeah, that's it for today. I hope you found this interesting to some degree. I hope that you are subscribing to the Anatomy of a Scream Squad feed. There's a number of really cool limited series, including this one. We're talking Bodies of Horror, Horror is so queer. You know, all these cool one monster books. There's so much to listen to. So you can follow Development Hell on Instagram at, at Development Hell Pod or Twitter at Devil Hell Pod, D E V E L Hell Pod. And uh, we hope to hear from you. And we'll uh, be back with another episode one of these days. Bye for now. What's wrong, Alice? My parents are gone. What else is wrong, Alice? Something's broken. What's broken, Alice? I am. Oh, you can't help that. We're all mad here. Coming soon to Dread, the Maid. Joy is the new maid of a royal house whose previous maid disappeared under mysterious circumstances and is now haunting and terrorizing the family. Joy works to uncover the reason behind the former maid's disappearance. The maid will be made available on demand everywhere July 20, 2021, and on Blu-ray August 17, 2021.